see everybody this morning. Great worship. That was awesome. So let's dive in. I'm Jeff Myers. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your uh, first time with us, I just want to say welcome. Really glad you joined us today. We've been in a, a teaching series uh, that we're calling the Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, it, it's just we're, we're taking several weeks to kind of look at some of the stories that Jesus told. And in the, in the Bible, these stories are called parables. And parables are just uh, literally stories uh, that Jesus would tell to illustrate a spiritual truth. And, and so we're looking at several of those. And, and, uh, and so the one we're going to look at today is, is really interesting. It's in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to uh, flip over there in your Bible or scroll over there in your fake Bible, that'd be great. And, um, and so um, anyway, we're, I, I, one of the things I love about these stories that Jesus would tell is that I mean, it's a pretty interesting tactic to teach truth by telling stories. And the reason Jesus does this is because he knows us and how we think and, and that these stories actually create little hooks into our brain to make those truths stick and make them memorable uh, and, and that sort of thing. And so, But one of the things I, I love about the stories is that oftentimes they're, they're very mysterious. And Jesus doesn't always tell us you know, what it is he means by those stories. But I love a good mystery. Anybody else like a good mystery? Yeah, I love a good mystery. We have our, our daughter, uh, Meadow. She loves murder mysteries. She's seven years old. And, and she, I know, and she loves murder mysteries. And she, she's into the law and order shows, which were horrible parents she should not be into. And, um, and she loves trying to figure out who did what. And she, we, we watched the Father Brown mysteries on Netflix, and she loves those. And, and uh, she just loves a good whodunit, trying to figure it out. And she, think, she, and she is. She's actually pretty good at figuring them all out. Um, and, but I, I love that, too. I love a story where there's, where there's a twist at the end, where there's something that you weren't expecting, and something gets revealed that's like, oh, suddenly the light gets shined on the whole story, right? And like uh, back in the 90s, that... Uh, sci-fi movie, uh, The Matrix, was one of those for me where it's I mean, such a great movie. And I walked out of that going, wow, wow, what a great sci-fi movie. And then, uh, it, you know, thinking about it over the next day or two and talking about it to friends, realized that it was so much more than sci-fi. It was actually a postmodern retelling of the gospel story. The Matrix is all about Jesus. If you didn't know that, go back and watch it. It's totally all about Jesus. There's a couple of F-bombs, but it's all about Jesus. And And so... And then, and then, like, as a kid reading, uh, like, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Lord of the Rings stories, again, kind of a retelling of the gospel in terms of fantasy uh, fiction, such good stuff. I love when there's these deeper meanings into a really great story. And that's what a lot of these parables are for, for Jesus when he's telling them. It's, it's, yeah, it's this weird story about something random in everyday life, maybe, but it's also... There's a deep truth there, and sometimes he lets us know what it's about, and sometimes he doesn't, and, and that's kind of part of the whole thing. So let, let's just kind of dive in here. Um, chapter 13 of Matthew. <clears throat> so it says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them, Many things in parables, saying, and we'll stop right there for just a second. So, I, I've been re, I've been emphasizing this this fact over and over the last several weeks. Um, by the way, we have a new living hoper, Miss Charlie, in the back of the room. Awesome. That's so awesome. Love it. That's like one of the signs of the end times, isn't it? Like Kurt becoming a dad. That's uh, that's awesome. Really happy for you guys. Congratulations. Um, so anyway, so it's, uh, 
um, uh, I've been emphasizing this truth that, that I think we oftentimes miss or we forget or maybe we're even taught incorrectly about. We've, we've gone for decades and decades and decades, and maybe longer than that, um, kind of thinking of Jesus in terms of this kind of love, you know, love everybody, hippie, Vidal Sassoon hair type of guy, you know, where it's just all about peace and love. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, he was about those things. But we forget the fact that, honestly, I think first and foremost, Jesus was a revolutionary. A revolutionary. Like a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus would stir the pot, and, and he definitely did. He was a revolutionary of his time. That's the reason so many crowds, so many people in crowds would come out to hear him and to see him is because he was mixing stuff up in a way that people loved. That, I mean, the, the Jewish people had um, been a long time under the uh, oppression of the Roman Empire and had been praying. They, had, they looked back at all their Old Testament prophets and they could see that God had promised to bring their nation to a place of prosperity and power once again and deliver them and set them free. And, and so they were waiting for that Messiah to show up and set them pr- uh, free from being under the thumb of the Romans. And I mean, and the time was ripe. It was, you know, it was very um, uh, just, they were constantly mixing up with Romans. There were little fringe, uh, almost like terrorist groups uh, called zealots that would rise up against the Romans and things like that. I mean, it was just a very troubled time. They were ready for a message of revolution, and Jesus was that revolutionary. And they, as, as he began to teach, and as he began to do things, and especially as he began to do, perform some miracles, and it became obvious this guy was from God. <clears throat> Excuse me, he's from God. And could he be the one? Could he be the Messiah that would set us free, that would deliver us from the Romans? And, all? and they, they wanted that revolution so bad. It's kind of actually similar times to what we live in, every time you turn on the TV, there's another rally, a Me Too rally, or a Black Lives Matter rally, or a, or a you know, a science, <clears throat> excuse me, a science rally, or, um, you know, a, a dozen other issues that are going on that people are rallying for and trying to inform the general public about, or, or, or whatever, and, and, and when people show up to a rally, who has ever been to a rally? A few of you, if, when, when you show up to a rally, you don't show up because you have nothing else to do. You show up to a rally because you want to be stirred up. You want to be motivated. You want, you want to be sent into action. You see that there's a problem in the world. There's an issue going on that needs to be resolved, that needs to be fixed. And you want some dynamic personality to stir you up and set you into action so that that issue can be solved. And Jesus was that guy. When people came from miles around and walked for miles around to come and hear him and gathered by the thousands. It wasn't because they were sitting around their homes going, hey, I heard this guy who's a really great teacher. Want to go hear some great teaching? I would love to go hear some really great teaching. Let's go hear some really... No, it wasn't that. It was this guy is speaking a language in a way that we have, our hearts have been hungry for. We, he recognizes what, has going, what is going on in the world, what's going on in our nation, and he's speaking to it. He is turning the religious leaders um, uh, kind of on their heads. He is turning the, the powers of this world on their heads. He is stirring something up in us, a revolution up in us that is very attractive. Maybe he's the one who'll set us free. If, if that's the case, 
I want to be a part of his army. I want to be a part of his, his team. I want to be a part of the, the people who, who uh, revolutionized the world around us and what's going on. And so when people gathered, they were ready to be stirred up. They were ready. And so and what Jesus would do is he would speak in these parables. So you have Jesus at the beginning of this story. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he's kind of going out to the lake, to, there to um, the Sea of Galilee, which was basically a, a big lake. It's pretty much the exact same size as Lake Tahoe. And he is, he's kind of just sitting there staring at the lake, kind of, you know, whatever, working some stuff through in his head. And then the crowds begin to show up and they begin to press in on him. And so what he does is he gets in a boat and he goes out a few yards into the water and turns the boat around to where he can see the crowd. Now, the Sea of Galilee was very much like actually Lake Tahoe, not only in size, but it was also surrounded by mountains, more hills than mountains. It was more like hilly country around Galilee than, than opposed to, say, the, the big mountains that are around uh, Tahoe. But if, if, imagine yourself, say, in Tahoe at, um, at Emerald Bay, uh, you know, that little, that little inlet there at Tahoe, beautiful little inlet, and it's got those mountains surrounding that whole thing. Bring those down a little bit to more gentle rolling hills and Jesus out in the water a little ways, uh, and sound travels across the water, and it's kind of this natural amphitheater. So we're, you know, so thousands of people. This is what's crazy. Jesus was was such a dynamic and attractive speaker that thousands of people would come to hear him speak in an age without microphones, in an age where, where I mean, that it makes no sense for that many people to come out and hear somebody. I mean, like it just it didn't make any sense. But they they were so drawn to his message, so drawn to wanting to be a part of what he was doing. And so here he is. He's he's created this this area where there's kind of this natural amphitheater. He's speaking and he begins to tell these parables. And chapter thirteen is full full of parables. But the one he tells here uh, first off is this. He says this. A sower went out to sow. I'm not talking not, not needle and thread, uh, a sower of seeds, you know, guy planting. A sower uh, went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, excuse me, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, all these people pressing in on Jesus, they want to hear what he has to see. They want to be stirred up. They want to be motivated into some sort of action, some sort of revolution to change the things that are going on in their life and in their society. And instead, they get a farming lesson. Like, have you ever, ever had a hero or you know, somebody that you look up to and you went to hear them speak or whatever, and when it was all over, maybe, maybe you were a little let down, like, oh, I thought it was going to be something different. Or, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was a very anticlimactic moment for these people, and they're left kind of scratching their heads. What in the world? What was it? I want to know, how are we getting rid of the Romans? How are we turning this thing around? Instead, I got lessons about some guy scattering seeds. What kind of sense does that make? I heard uh, several years ago, I heard a sermon on this passage uh, by a Christian author named uh, uh, Philip Yancey. Maybe some of you guys maybe know his name. 
But uh, when he was giving the sermon, he, he was sitting at a table similar to this, and there was a bowl of, uh, I think it was cherries, bowl of cherries uh, up on the, the stage with him. And, and he's, he's eating these cherries he takes a, while he's teaching, just kind of casually, he takes a bite of one, he's like, oh, he's got seeds in him. And he keeps eating, and the whole time, he never says a word about it, never explains, but the whole time, he's spitting seeds all around the whole time he's telling this story, which I thought was brilliant. Um, I'm not going to do that to you today, but, but it, was, uh, it st- definitely stuck in my head. So, so anyway, these guys come ready to be stirred up into revolution, and Jesus instead gives them this farming lesson. They're scratching their heads. Scratching their heads to the point that the disciples notice that people aren't understanding what's going on. They don't even really know what's going on. And so the disciples take it up with Jesus. It says this in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them. Now listen to this part. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he'll have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, now here he goes in, he's going to quote from the prophet Isaiah. He's going to quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is very significant in, in the Old Testament because it's, it's the calling of Isaiah. Isaiah gets this vision of, of God in, uh, in heaven, and, and God calls him into ministry. He sees this vision of God, and there's smoke in the temple, and this whole thing, there's angels flying around, and, and he, he becomes convicted of who God is and who he is. He says, you know, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. And, and then God says, who will go for me? Who can I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then, and then God responds by telling Isaiah what's going to happen in the sending. He's like, okay, let's, just so you know, this is what you're getting yourself into. And this is what Jesus quotes here. He says this, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you'll indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So basically, God tells Isaiah, I'm going to send you out to preach um, to the people, to have them turn back to me, but here's the deal. Nobody's going to listen to you. They don't get it. They don't see. They don't understand. You'll preach your fool head off, and nobody's going to understand. Nobody's going to get it. They're so locked into the way that they view the world. They're so, so locked into their points of view and their worldview and, and how they see things that they will not listen to truth and they will not listen to reasons. Does it sound familiar? Sound familiar? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so frustrating every time you get online, every time you turn on the news. Like people that will not listen to, to reason, to truth, to logic on like different sides of pick an issue and, and they will not hear. They will not hear. They cannot see what is best. They're so locked into their point of view that they refuse to see anything else. And God says, this is the people I'm sending you to. They won't get it. But preach anyway. 
And so Jesus says, you want to know why I'm, why I'm speaking in parables? Because they're not ready to hear anyway. I could speak to them in crystal clear truths and they still wouldn't hear, they still wouldn't get it. I could lay out the perfect logical argument. They're still not going to get it because that's not where their head is. That's not where, and then he, he, he sums it all up in verse 16. He says, but blessed are your eyes, talking to the disciples, blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So this is what he's saying. He says, he says you guys are blessed because think about all the righteous people who came before you for, for centuries before you. Think about all the, think, think about Moses and King David and all the prophets and all these characters that you've read about in scripture. Think about all these good men and women uh, who, were, who were righteous or ser- my servants. They longed, they were hungry for, they craved to see and to hear the things that are right in front of you. He's talking about himself. They prayed to see the Messiah. They prayed to see God's work go out and be fulfilled and, and, and all the stuff that's happening happen. They could not see it. They didn't get to see it, but blessed are you because you see it. And, I, and I, I'm going to go a step further and I say, I count us in that same category as them because we have this advantage that they didn't have it with them, and that's the constant indwelling presence of the Spirit in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit to, to lead us and to guide us and to convict us and to, to, to make us dream dreams and, and, and all kinds of stuff. We have the Holy Spirit to, to move us forward into the will of God and help us stay on the right path. We are so, we're just as blessed, if not more blessed. We have that. Jesus is saying, I, I speak in parables. One, because eventually, eventually they'll come back and maybe it'll make sense, but two, they're not ready to hear anyway. Now, how many people in the room are, would, you, would raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm a little bit type A? A little bit type A. Little, there you go. Okay, the rest of the sermon is going to be difficult for you. Okay, <laughs> it's going to be hard, so just hang on. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to stop the reading of the scripture right here. I'm going to leave you where Jesus left the crowd. Um with kind of scratching your heads, what does this parable mean? And the reason I want to do that is because I think that's one of the central parts of our faith, is that process of taking God's word or even just taking what's going on in our lives and trying to make sense of it is a major part of our faith. And Jesus often leaves us to kind of think that stuff through and try to figure out what's going on, which, is, which kind of brings me to my main point today. My main point today is this. God's word is rarely a neat little package. Think about it, figure it out, and then try to find the intersection of his word and where he's moving. Try to find the intersection of his word and where he's moving. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. As your pastor, I'm going to stand up here and, and I'm going to confess to you that a lot of trying to figure out what God wants me to do is guesswork. It's, it's guesswork. It's guesswork informed by hopefully a close walk with the Holy Spirit, but it's guesswork. I don't get the 900-foot Jesus telling me to build giant buildings. I don't get the, you know, whatever these clear 
revelations. Um, you know, I don't get a lot of God told me this. I instead I get impressions, nudges from the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes it's just kind of looking at the canvas that God has laid out before us and walking through the open doors. I'm not sure what's on the other side of the open door, but God's opened this door. I'm going to go through it. Maybe it's what I think it's, maybe it's something I think it's, you know, that I've thought it will be, and maybe it's something totally different. God is often, I, there have been so many times in my life that I, I have felt confident that God was telling me to do something, that God's will for my life was something very specific, only to go in that direction, tell people this is God's will for my life, and then later look back on it and go, oh, I got that wrong. I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. Um, first church I was at full-time in, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, I stayed there for about three years and, and then resigned, and, and, but we wanted to stay in the area and felt really led to plant a church in that area. And so we began the process of planning a church. We had, I had a name for it. I, had, I made stationary I had a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan. Some of you are thinking, Jeff, I've never seen you plan anything. I can't imagine that about you. Well, there's a reason I don't plan that way anymore. But, but I, I mean, I had the plan. We started meet, having meeting, you know, people meet in our house for church. We were, you know, we were doing everything, uh, the little house church going on. We eventually, we got up to 15 or 20 people, and then it ended. It just, it just had to end. It wasn't sustainable anymore, and... I remember being really heartbroken about that and really like, God, I thought you were, like I had big dreams of what this would someday grow to be. And suddenly it just, it was gone. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I was able to look back on it and, and realize that that whole process was never about that church and it was never even about me. It was about the one guy during that nine-month period that I led to the Lord that's still following Jesus today. It was about that. It wasn't about what I thought it was about at all. Before Jamie and I came here, just a few months before we came here, we were on track to go plant a church in Austin, Texas. We had fallen in love with that city. We had gone to visit and do some strategery and, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, we were, we were definitely working in that direction. We had funding. We had a sending organization. We, it was all lined out. And then one day, the people who were funding that church plant called us and said, we met last night, and we don't even know why, but we were praying, and we just felt like we shouldn't do this right now, like the timing's not right. Jamie and I were devastated. Devastated. It's like I, we had put all our eggs in that basket. My God, I, it, I mean, it just felt like God was, I mean, when God gives you funding for something, you would think that's a green light from God, Right? And then about three months later, I got a call from Phil Lockwood. And God had a different plan for me, for us. So when it comes to, you know, there's a, a Christian author, old guy, um, been around for a while, Charles, uh, Chuck Swindoll. And in one of his books, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll says, I think that uh, God's will can only be known in hindsight. Such a great, it's a great statement. And I would tend to agree with it. I think that there's only been one or two things in my life that I could say for certain were God's will and everything else was me guessing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Jesus, he tells these stories, and he leaves people kind of scratching their head, trying to kind of figure out what's going on and what it means to them. But I think that Jesus is still telling stories in, in our lives. Our lives are these gospel stories, so to speak. And, and, I, and I think that even in the stories of our own lives, we're often left kind of looking at Jesus going, what, what? has anybody ever had something happen in your life that just took you sideways and, and, you're, and you go to Jesus in prayer and you're like, I don't even know what this means, God. What, what, is, what, is even this supposed to, what am I supposed to do with this? What does this mean? And then begins that, that like, like knowing the will of God is not a science, it's an art. Does that make sense? It's not a science, it's an art. The problem is, is that for most of us, we want it to be a science. We want to be able to open up the Bible and, and, and we want to be able to go to a verse and say, okay, yeah, this is what I should do. We want, to, we want it to be very black and white. We want it to be a list of do's and a list of don'ts. We want it to be very clear direction. And there are things in this book that are very clear. This book is extremely clear with, in terms of what you need to know for the salvation of your soul. When it comes to you entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, this book is extremely clear. And beyond that, good luck. Good luck. Because you're taking a book that is thousands of years old and trying to apply it to your life today. And sometimes, if I'm honest, we're looking at the stuff in here and we're going, I, like I love it when people come to me and say, well, God's word says this. And I'm like, God's word actually says a lot of things. It says a lot of things. Like, so, so be careful with the God's word says this because maybe God's just saying that for that particular circumstance, that particular instance, and, and it's not necessarily prescriptive for the entire experience of life. It's, God's Word says a lot of things. Remember a few weeks ago, we, we talked a little bit about God's Word. And I talked about how for people back in, uh, you know, the times of the Bible, they, um, like when they, when they referred to the Word of God, what was it they were referring to? Because they didn't have the Word of God like we have the Word of, you know, like when we think of the Word of God, we think of the Bible. They didn't have a Bible. I mean, they had some Old Testament scrolls, you know, cooped up in some synagogue somewhere, but they didn't have access to them. Or, I mean, all they had was what was read to them and what they could remember. And, like, what did they think about when they referenced the Word of God? And we talked about how for them, the Word of God was not a book. It wasn't even a scroll. The Word of God was, how is God moving amongst us? What are we being taught? Where is He directing us? What's going on in our community? What's going on in our lives? How do we see God Moving. There was a great book uh, several years ago called um, Experiencing God. A lot of uh, churches went through a study on this book called Experiencing God. And, and one of the, 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 the only, actually, the only thing I remember about that book is one statement that said, you know, look for what God is doing and join Him in that, rather than asking God to join you in what you're doing. Look for what God is doing and join Him in that. So it's this process, the Word of God is this process of seeing where God is moving and getting behind that. What are the needs? What, 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 what's going on? How is the word impacting us? The, the word of God was the, was the word that would come to them from prophets and teachers and pastors. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was all of that. It was also scripture. But it wasn't exclusively scripture. It was how is, how is God moving? So like, how do we do that? How do we figure out that intersection of, of his word and his moving and, and, and figure out how, like, how do we apply this to our 
lives. Because here's the thing is if you, if you, you might be the brightest scholar of scripture in this room. You might know all of it. I, I doubt it, but you might, hypothetically. I mean, you might have it all figured out. Know every little detail. But if you can't work that knowledge into your life, into the story of your life, then it's a total waste of time. It's a total waste. It's a waste of that knowledge. Like if this word is not real to us in the lives that we live, in the way we do family, in the way that we do career, in the way that we do school, in the way that we do church, in the way that we just live, then is it real? We have to make it real and apply it to our lives for it to be effective. What's the, what's the Bible says that you know, the word of God is living and active. The problem with things that are living and active is that they're hard to control. You ever try to control something living and active? It's, it's, it's going to be a bad day for you, <laughs> right? It just doesn't work. So we take this very living and active, moving word of God, and we, we make it make sense in our lives, but it's not a science, it's an art. It doesn't always readily make sense, and sometimes it doesn't make sense until years later, and sometimes, you know, I mean, it's just, but, we, but it's this, con, I think faith is this constant exercise of taking something that is not very concrete and making it work in our very concrete lives. Uh, several years ago, Matt and I were having a conversation um, just about youth ministry and how it has changed over the years. You know, when I was a youth pastor, you could, you know, gather a bunch of kids together, play a game like Chubby Bunny. And, uh, you know, you guys don't know Chubby Bunny. You stuff marshmallows in your mouth and you have to save Chubby Bunny. And it's a big slobbery mess. And so, anyway, kids sometimes choke and die. But that, that never mind. But anyway, so you, 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 play, you play some goofy game and you, uh, you know, you try to tell a story in a funny, engaging way or whatever. And... You know, whatever. That was enough. Kids would come and they would, you know, learn to love Jesus and it was great. Things have changed. Whereas today's teens, today's junior high and high school students um, process life and process their experiences and process their doubts in the way that college age kids would do it when I was a youth pastor. They're thinking heavier thoughts and they're really processing, I mean, they're, they're much more skeptical and they're it's like, what can we do to, maybe, is there a way to change what we're doing to reach out to that way of thinking? And, and you know, we, we came up with this idea of what we now call Upper Room. And Matt does a great job with the Thursday night high school group called Upper Room. And all Upper Room is, is the night they get together, they share a meal, they sit around in a circle, <coughs> and they, and there's no agenda. Matt doesn't come usually prepared with a lesson to teach. He lets them set the agenda. So this is... This is the agenda. They, the kids submit on little pieces of paper just questions that they have about life and scripture and experience and whatever, doubts that they're having. And, and they pull a sheet of paper out of a hat and that's the topic for the night. And so, so you have, uh, Matt had this in his office. I saw this before church. And I, was, I asked him, can I bring this out? But it's, uh, you know, all these questions, is depression a sin? Um. Uh, you know, there's, uh, is it wrong to be LGBT, LGBT and Christian? Um, you know, is, um, is self-harm wrong? What is sin? 
If God is humble, why does he demand praise? Um, I mean, it goes on and on and on. What is the value of group Bible study? Why do we call this upper room? <laughs> is, is, abor- is abortion wrong? Uh, I mean, just all these things. So it's like taking the stuff that's on their hearts and their minds and the things that they're trying to work out and, and, and by doing that week in, week out and letting them set that agenda, what that does is it, it establishes a pattern for them that, that Scripture is trustworthy for all the situations and questions that they have in their life. It may not be tidy. may not always be able to wrap it up in a nice, neat package, but, but it is trustworthy. And there's a wrestling that goes on. We wrestle in our faith. We wrestle with the Word of God. We, we wrestle through our life experiences and through our questions and through our doubts. That's, that wrestling is key to faith. It's not something to be avoided. Instead, I think it's something to be embraced. We, we do that. We, we allow ourselves that, and it's, it's critical. It's critical. So, so God's Word isn't always neat. You can't always get the simplest answer that you want. Like sometimes, if I'm honest, I, I, I go to God's Word for answers, and can I be honest with you and just say that sometimes I don't get the answers I was looking for? Or I don't think I do anyway. Sometimes I go, and it's... Like, did you guys ever study the Bible with the flop method? It's a horrible way to study the Bible. So, like, I used to do this when I was a teenager, where I would just be like, God, you know, I need an answer for this. Flop. Okay, here we go. Right? So this is a true story. One time I was about 16 years old. There was a girl I was wanting to ask out. And, um, but I was super nervous. I was a big dork. And, and so I was just, you know, I was like, should I do it? Should I do it? And I'm praying about it. And I'm, I'm way over-spiritualizing the situation, right? And so, but anyway, I go to God. And I'm like, God, I need a sign from you. I need a word. You know, should I ask this girl out? So, you know, let me know. Flop. And and I'm not lying. It opened to a book I had never read before at age 16. It opened to the Song of Solomon, which if, if you don't know, the Song of Solomon is this epic uh, romantic uh, play that, um, and so, and, it, and it, in, within the song, it opened literally to the passage that, that is talking about lips and breasts and everything else. And, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So awesome. Like, that's a horrible, horrible way to study your Bible though, right? You know, it's like, it's not, it's, I, like, I, I heard a story, it's not true, I'm sure, but I heard a story of, of a guy who, who did the flop method for his Bible study, who's depressed, and what should I do, God? And he opened it up, and, and it opened up to, and, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And he's like, God, this can't be from you. And, and, and he opens it up again, and it opens to whatever you do, go and do quickly. <laughs> so, so anyway, so that's a horrible way to study the Bible. <laughs> but what it, what it is, though, is that I think through a, a, it's, what we need is a relationship. We don't need the flop method. We need a relationship. It's the same thing if you're, if you're married. You know, if you've been married long enough, you know you can read what your spouse is thinking um, before they ever say a word. At some point, you get to that point to where you, you, they don't even have to speak. You just, you get it. You know. I mean, there are days I walk into the house and before any words are said, I know I'm in trouble, right? 
Like I just, I just, you just feel it. You just like something's off here, you know, danger, Will Robinson. And so anyway, it's like, so like I get that. And it's the same, like I want that same thing with the Holy Spirit. I want to be so close to the Holy Spirit in my life that I pick up on the slightest nudge, that I pick up on the slightest movement and I can begin to feel where it is that God is leading me. You know, I was, I was recently uh, uh, teaching one of my kids to, to ride a bike and, 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 you know, as they try to figure out the whole balance, you know, thing and the turning with the balance and the, you know, it's like I was telling me, eventually you just begin to feel it in your core, which way to lean and, you know, that sort of thing begins to work that way. And it's kind of like, I want that with the Holy Spirit. I want there, I want there to be something, I want to be able to, you know, like my spidey senses to go off with the slightest movement from the Holy Spirit to where I, I'm like, okay, I know, you know, something's, he's moving me in a way here. And I may not totally understand it, but... I want to stick close to him so that when it is understandable, I get it. You know, like, it's that. And I think Jesus, he, would, he didn't give us this clear recipe for life and spiritual. He left it pretty mysterious. He left it pretty mysterious. It's one of the reasons that we love the Apostle Paul so much. Even if you think you hate the Apostle Paul, you love the Apostle Paul because what the Apostle Paul did that was, is brilliant is that he took all that mystery of the Gospels, and connected the dots between that and everything, all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, and gave us a theology that began to make sense. Take out the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Just If all you had was the Gospels, I think our faith would look very different. Very, in fact, it might, if all you went off on was what Jesus said, it might look a little bit like work salvation. Because he does a lot of teaching on morality, a lot of teaching on morality. And we might begin to get the impression that, you know, that it's about those works is how we work our way to God. And Paul kind of does some amazing work to help us make sense of all of this in light of the overall scope of Scripture we need that, but we want it all wrapped up tidy. And, and, and I'm just, I hate to break it to you. Faith is not tidy. It's just not. There are times it just doesn't. We're left just going, I'm, I, all I can do is try to figure this out. All I can do is lean into God and trust him. And hopefully in his timing, he'll, he'll make his plan known to me. But for now, I just have to kind of trust him. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of us. We, we don't like those unknown spaces. We don't like those, those periods of time where, you know, we feel a little bit out of control. We're trying to figure things out. Can I, let me just give you some, some guidance this morning. It's okay to admit you don't know. It's okay. Don't feel like you have to have a plan for everything or you have to know that God has, you know, exactly what God's plan is or, or or if everybody else is around you is saying, God told me this, and you're like, God ain't told me jack. That's okay. That's okay. In fact, I don't trust people who say, God told me this too often. I just don't. Like, if you know somebody in your life that is constantly, God told me, this is God's will, I don't know if I trust that person. Because I, all I know is from my experience and from talking to all of you and your experiences, God tends to not work with such clarity. He tends to pull us along, and things are pretty fuzzy, and eventually, in hindsight, we look back and go, we can see how God worked. 
I'm not saying God is never clear. He is. He is clear at times. But it tends, for me, that tends to be the exception rather than the rule. And that's okay. That's okay. Stay close to the Holy Spirit. Stay close. I mean, dig into God's word. Dig into community, things like that upper room, things like, you know, some, sometimes I process things and make sense of things from, from reading the Bible. Sometimes I do it from time and prayer. Sometimes I do it from conversations in my growth group. There, there, it's, there's something so helpful about processing life with other believers because sometimes they have a perspective on it that you're too close to the situation to see. And they can give you some clarity and they can give you some perspectives. Have you thought about this? No, I haven't thought. It may not even sit well with you. No, I don't know if it's that. But then it sticks in your craw. You're like thinking about it the rest of the week and you're like, man, I think it is that. You know, it's, it's like you need, you need community to help you process that. So do that. It's not a science, it's an art. It's a beautiful, beautiful art. It's a beautiful art. It's an art worth giving your life to. It's, it's an amazing process of getting to know God. Like when you first start dating somebody, you don't know how they tick and what upsets them and, you know, what food you can feed them, <laughs> whether they can be a vegan or something like that. I mean, you don't, you don't know anything about them, right? And then as you spend time with them, you begin to obsess over them a little bit. You, be, you begin to understand how they tick. You, begin to understand, you can predict responses before you know, behavior even elicits those responses. It, it's, it's part of closeness. I want that kind of closeness with God because it is a mystery. My wife is still a mystery to me, still. And I feel like I know her pretty well. That woman is mysterious. God is just like Jamie. Very mysterious, very mysterious. Stick, stick close, amen? Amen. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word to us today. God, help us to take uh, not only the stories that you've told, but the stories that you continue to tell in our lives and learn the art of seeing where you're moving, feeling where you're moving. Uh, and, enlighten us and illumine us through your scriptures. Help us to make sense of what's going on through scriptures. And when we have reached the end of our rope and we just don't know, we can't see where you're moving, what you're doing, God, Give us that supernatural ability to just simply trust you, to trust you. And we love it when you reveal things to us with clarity, um, and we give you the praise and the glory for that. But if you choose not to be clear with us, if you choose instead to teach us by having us learn to trust you, we'll still give you praise and glory. So keep us close to you. Teach us to hear your voice. Teach us to hear and see where you're moving. And um, we just love you. We give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as you notice, I'm not going to explain to you the parable. Uh, go and figure it out. Think on it and figure it out. I'll give you a hint. 
the very next verse, Jesus explains it. So go, just go read that. All right? All right. Everybody have a good week.